As a church, as of late, we have been looking at the topic of work. Looking first at some of the struggles that we have with work and why we have those struggles and hardships. And lately, been trying to shift and think about how does our relationship with God affect our relationship with work. And we're going to continue with that this morning as we look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, and reading through chapter 4, verse 1. If you'd like to look that up in your pew Bibles, it's on page 1170. Otherwise, the words are on the screen behind me. Writing to the church in Colossae under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To begin my sermon this morning and reflection on that text, I wanted to talk about a few tendencies I think we often have when it comes to work that I want to identify and slightly correct. Uh, the first one, I think, starts when we are students. I told you students that I wouldn't forget you, I'd include you in this series, and I haven't. But if I were to ask students, you know, what is your hope for school? What is your, your desire, your aim, when you go to school every day? What do you want as a goal? I would assume that your tendency would be to answer that you want the best grades possible, straight A's across the board. And yet, I don't know if that should be your goal or your aim. Now, of course, uh, you want good grades. And grades were implemented as a way to test and check whether or not you are learning the subject. But that should be our, your primary goal. That when you take these classes, that your goal is at the end of it, you have learned more about that subject and about God's world and how it works. And so your true aim should be to learn as much as you can. And if your goal is instead to get the best grades possible, well then sometimes you'll be tempted to just take shortcuts, to take from classmates answers or to turn in somebody else's work as your own so that you can get that good grade. Or even if you do the work, you think, well, you study real hard, get it in your head, put it out on the paper in the test, and then forget it all. And that's not really achieving the, the greater goal. And what we need to do, I think, as students is to look past the grades to the greater goal of learning. We often, I think, can carry that same idea into our employment. If I asked you, well, what is the hope of your work? Again, I think the tendency is, well, to earn a living. 
to get a paycheck, as big of a paycheck as possible, but at least big enough to meet my needs and to provide for my family. But again, I don't know if that should be our goal. Because if that is the goal, then that's all that we're worried about and that's all that we're working for when instead we should look past the paycheck to the greater goal of using work as an opportunity to use our gifts and our talents in order to build God's kingdom. Those two first tendencies are, are linked together, I think, in our attitudes. Another tendency I felt I needed to address builds off of what we talked about last week. Last week, we looked at how our relationship with God and affected by work, especially with him giving us the gift of Sabbath, commanding us, inviting us to rest from our work on a weekly basis in his presence. And again, given that, I think we can often have the tendency to fall into the temptation that we think our relationship with God is mostly about what happens here on Sundays. That this is where we meet with God, this is where we worship God, and then we come here on Sundays and when we leave this place, we kind of leave God here. He kind of waits for us throughout the week as we do our business, as we work, as we try to fight against distractions, but then we come back here to do the work of our relating to God. But that also is a tendency that I think we have to fight against, and it's a tendency that's talked about in our scripture text from Colossians. Colossians, very similar to many other books of the Bible, especially Ephesians, lays out for us what Christ has done for us and the hope we have in him. For example, in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says to the church, Jesus has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That gospel message reminded and reiterated. And then he challenges them to stand firm in that faith, not being distracted by heresies and heretics. And then he says in chapter 3, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And as he invites us to set our minds on things above, sometimes I think we can hear that and have the tendency to assume that what we need to do as Christians is to make sure that we believe in Jesus. And then we know that when we die, we will go to heaven. And so whatever else between the day that we receive Christ and the day we die and finally get to glory with him, we just basically have to stick it out. Endure life, whatever it comes at us, try not to mess it up and just struggle through this while we wait for Jesus to call us home. But that's not at all what the gospel is about. In fact, Paul is careful and clear to point out here and in other places that our eternal life in Christ starts now and not after we die. 
And that our relationship with Jesus is not something that just happens on Sunday mornings, but instead our faith, our relationship with Christ is something that should affect the way that we live our lives in every area of, of life and at all times. That's what the beginning of chapter 3 is all about. He has the call to put to death the old self and to put on the new self given us in Christ. But if, if that's too abstract of a concept, he gets very specific in saying that our faith doesn't just affect what we do on Sunday, but it should impact our very households. That we are to bring our faith to our marriage relationships and it affects the way that husbands and wives treat and respond to each other. That as we heard in baptism, our faith should affect our parenting and affect the way that parents and children relate to each other. And then in the text that we just read, that our faith should affect even the way that a slave would interact with their master. Now, as soon as I say those words, I have to address a couple of things. First of all, while the ESV translation, the version that we use in our pew Bibles here, uses the term bondservant, most other translations translate that word slave. And really, that's what we're talking about here. There are probably some good reasons, and I didn't get to confirm this, that they probably translate that bondservant because there are some differences of the practice of slavery that took place in the Roman Empire when this letter was written as compared to what we often think of as slavery as exercised in the United States in its early years. But slavery is still slavery. These people were seen as possessions of those that purchased them, their masters. They were obligated to serve them without pay. And contemporary writings of this time talk about them like they are tools to be used for the betterment of those who own them. They were definitely the lowest in status in the Roman Empire. And knowing that horrible history... And slavery is the terrible institution that it is. We wonder, well, why would Paul even address slaves? Is he endorsing this institution? And what we have to recognize is that slavery was very prominent in that day. And as one commentator suggests, slavery was a real situation that no Christian of the time could have changed or ignored and so it needed to be addressed. And in addressing slaves, we should see that Paul's not advocating or endorsing the institution. He's acknowledging the reality of it. In fact, much of what he says in this message would actually be shocking and surprising to those that endorse the institution of slavery of his day. And I will highlight that when we come across some of that. But again, the initial charge of our passage is still shocking. To our modern ears especially. So earlier in chapter 3 verse 17. Paul had said these familiar words. A, a favorite text for many. And whatever you do. In word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that general principle. Isn't just a good idea for what takes place on Sunday. Giving worship to God here. But again. It is to be lived out in all of our lives and in all of our relationships. And so he says to the slaves in verse 22, Obey in everything 
those who are your earthly masters. That's the basic command. Christian slaves were to be identified as obedient. And he extends on that, first giving a negative example, saying that they're not to obey them by way of eye service or as people pleasers. Now again, if you're a slave, you can understand there's not a whole lot of motivation to go in above and beyond your work. You're not going to get a promotion. You're not going to earn a, a pay raise because you've been a very diligent, hardworking person. There was nothing except for fear of punishment that would keep you going. And so you could easily understand why they would do the very least they would need to do. That when the master was around, you worked hard. And when the master was gone, well, you took a little bit longer of breaks. You took it easy because why work hard if you're just doing what you need to get done? And I'm sure a lot of us can understand that kind of thinking. But Paul speaks against that. He says, even as slaves, if you are a follower of Christ, you should not just work to keep the master happy, but instead you should work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And this is where he basically repeats the principle from 3.17 when he says again to the slaves in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. I'll elaborate on that soon, but let me see where he continues first in verse 24 when he says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And this is where Paul starts to subtly dig at the institution of slavery. Slaves in that day and age, because they were possessions or just seen as, as property, as tools, they were not eligible for receiving an inheritance. If their master died, then they were just out to be sold to another master. But, the, but Paul says that in Christ, something's changed. And now this is where you should notice a few things. First of all, just in addressing slaves, Paul's elevating them a little bit. He is assuming that they are people worthy of being talked to, that they are moral agents capable of hearing these things and making decisions about the way that they conduct their lives, that they weren't just inanimate objects or meaningless drones at work. And furthermore, in addressing them, particularly in this letter, the assumption behind that is that they are going to be there to hear this letter read. That they are a part of the church, a part of the body of believers, hearing his instructions and encouragement to them. Again, elevating them, not just as objects, but as people. And then when he says that they are going to receive an inheritance, he's reminding them that although society looks down on them in Christ, they are something completely different. Christ had taken them from nothing and elevated them to the people with some value. Christ had forgiven their sins and given them a place in his community. And because of that, they were to bring their faith to their enslavement. They weren't supposed to just work to keep their masters happy, to keep themselves out of trouble, doing the bare minimum. They were to obey in everything. And the reason for this was because as followers of Jesus, they recognized their real master 
Their real master, their real Lord, was not the Lord that had purchased them on earth, but their Lord, their master in heaven. And through the work that they were doing, even as a slave, it was an opportunity to serve their God in heaven. Now, every commentary that I read highlighted the difficulty and the careful steps you needed to take from applying this text from an institution of slavery back then to our experiences of today. Being careful to not draw too close of a connection, acknowledging the difficulty of that institution. However, all of them also suggested that if Scripture was going to tell a slave someone seen as a possession back then, that they needed to work in obedience and faithfulness to their God, well, then that same principle should easily apply to us who work for wages. So first of all, let's again, remember that idea that the Christian faith is not just about what happens here on our days off on Sundays. Instead, we are to allow the grace that we have received from and through the sacrifice of Jesus to affect the way that we do everything in our lives, including our employment, our work. We, too, are not to just work for eye service or people-pleasing. I think today, Paul would be very critical of that growing trend of what they call quiet quitting, This is people who intentionally do the very least that they have to do in order to earn their paycheck. To never go and above and beyond your job description, to just follow that to the letter. You punch in at nine, you punch out at five on the dot, and then you move on doing the bare minimum that you have to do just to keep your boss happy and to keep the paychecks coming. And if you are just working for a paycheck, that's all that's important. But for those who have a relationship with Jesus, who have been bought with his blood and invited into a new life with him, then that should affect the way that we work and our understanding of who we're working for and why it is that we are working. Instead of working just for paychecks, we are to obey and we are to serve our bosses as if we are serving our boss in heaven. It's an important reminder that our faith in Jesus changes everything about who we are. We're not just trying to survive this life, waiting for our arrival in glory. We are here to serve our Lord in heaven in everything that we do, and that should be reflected in our work. We should work diligently, work wholeheartedly. As Christians, we should have a reputation of being good, hardworking, honest employees. We should be a credit to the name of the Savior that we claim that we are serving. And that's a paradigm shift that can be hard to make, but it can be a huge difference in how we view our work. It wasn't that long ago I had a conversation with a congregation member that for a long time had been struggling with his relationship with his employers about how the demands seemed like too much and and the struggles that he had about the responsibilities that were being put on him. And, And then he came to this text and he studied it. And it changed everything about how he viewed his work, why he was doing what he was doing, recognizing I'm not serving these people, but I have an opportunity to serve my Lord in this job. 
He became a, a better employee, changing everything about how he looked at his work. And I hope and pray that we can make that same kind of transition in our lives as well. Now, as soon as I say that, we have to recognize that many of you in this church are not just employees, but you employ others. And I hope that you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, I would love to have employees that felt like they were serving God, working wholeheartedly instead of just doing what they needed to do when I'm around. But notice, in another statement that would have been shocking to the modern audience when this was written, Paul doesn't just put a responsibility on the slaves. He also says that masters have responsibilities and obligations to their slaves as well. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing you also have a master in heaven. And again, the shock from the initial readers would have been that they, masters have any obligation to their property at all. Those were tools that they had purchased for their own benefit. But Paul says, don't look at them as tools. Treat them justly. Treat them fairly. Look beyond their status and see the people that they are. And the motivation for doing that as a master was the very same as the motivation for the slaves. You see, they might consider themselves masters to these slaves, above them. But even in their position in society, they too were under the greater authority of their master in heaven. And Paul says that both slave and master really have the same boss that they are working for. They are both called to serve that boss first and foremost. And knowing that they have that boss in heaven, that should affect the way that they play their role as an employee and as employer. So again, with the caveats of the different situations, we should hear these words for those who hire others for work. As Christian employers, you need to treat your workers not as tools, but justly and fairly. You don't just give them safety equipment because OSHA demands that you do. You give them safety equipment to keep them safe and look out for their needs. You don't just give them breaks because of the labor laws that tell you how often and how regular the breaks should come. You give them breaks because they are people that need to rest from their work as well. You don't just pay them the bare minimum so that your profits can be the most. You compensate them fairly for the work that they do. Again, Christian employers especially should recognize that they are under the authority as well and therefore treat their employees fairly and justly. But again, that paradigm that highlights the paradigm shift that we are talking about. When we accept the grace of God, that gift given to us in Jesus Christ, we truly recognize that the gospel message that without Christ, I am nothing but a poor, wretched sinner. But in Christ, I am forgiven. I belong to him and I have a meaning and a calling in my life. And that gospel message affects the way that we work. It should make a huge difference in how we understand our roles as employees and employers, both under the same master. 
And in a world where we have the tendency just to look at work as a way to earn a living, to earn a grade, to make the money, we need to look past our earthly bosses to the heavenly bosses, boss that we truly serve. We have to look past our paycheck to seeing work as a service, an opportunity to use our gifts to bless others. We have to learn to look past the idea that our job is just a nine-to-five obligation, but see it as another opportunity where we are invited to bring the kingdom of God, to bring salt and light into the dark places of our work so that we can bring others and point them to the hope that we have in Christ. And so we too can hear, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we are so quickly distracted by so much of this world. We turn the goal into earning a paycheck and just getting by and enduring this life until we get to enjoy the true glories of heaven with you. But remind us that our earthly life is important, that we have a mission and a responsibility sent by you, commissioned as your apostles to go forth and to bring and to be salt and light into this dark world. And I pray that we would do that. That as we go forth from this place, entering into our work weeks, whatever that might look like, that we would recognize that you are our true master, our Lord in heaven, and that whatever we do, we do with your eyes upon us, and that that should motivate us to work hard, to serve diligently, and to prioritize our relationship with you in all that we do, so that we can bring peace into a world of chaos and hope where it is so desperately needed. And so, Lord, dwell in us. Be our boss, and may we serve you, not just on Sundays, but throughout our lives and all that we do. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.